0: Amen. Good morning, beloved. It's good to see you, good to be with you uh, this Lord's Day as we continue our study. In First Peter, walking through this book uh, that is a great help, been a great help throughout the history of the church to help Christians figure out how do you live life in a culture, in a world where you are indeed an alien and a stranger, where you don't quite fit in anywhere, what does it look like to be faithful to Christ? This morning, we're going to consider a grace that you have received that perhaps— you've never uh, quite considered. Perhaps you've considered but underestimated Or maybe experientially, it's a grace that you've missed altogether. It's a blessing that uh, to, to fully enjoy and basking. I want, you, I want to call to your mind two different pieces of information. I want you to have in your mind your birth date and, and the oldest address you can remember. So if you can remember your home address where you grew up, at least the earliest address you can remember. So for me, October 27th, 1981. Yes, I'm getting old. 1675 Midway Drive, Shelby, North Carolina, 28150. I want you to have your birth date and your address in your mind. We'll come back to that just a little bit later. Again, the context of First Peter. Peter's writing to elect exiles, these chosen strangers who were uh, spread throughout the region that spans modern-day Turkey. He's encouraging them to remain faithful to Christ, even though they find themselves in various trials, suffering, in fact, because they are followers of Christ. So it's not that the followers of Christ is leading to a better life in their circumstance, but in fact, the fact that they're followers of Christ is leading to persecution and suffering trials of different kinds in their culture. We've looked very closely at Peter's introduction in the first nine verses of this epistle, and we've meditated and thought on the glorious realities of God's saving work in Christ, That we were indeed born again to a living hope according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to the Son and sprinkling with His blood. That we've been born again to this living hope and this living hope is to an inheritance that is uh, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for us. That we've been again, born again, that we are new, that we're being guarded by him all the way into glory. So we look in the rear view and we see the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. The fact that he made us alive again, again and made us born anew. We look in front of us and we know we're headed to glory where there's an inheritance being kept safe. And we know that our God who saved us is keeping us, guarding us all the way unto glory. All because of his grace. So much grace. And along with Peter's original audience, we see evidences of this salvation in us. If you look again back at chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. It's concerning this salvation now that Peter wants to connect the longing of the Old Testament saints to the privileged status and experience of the New Testament saints. This is how he concludes his introduction. With the blessed place that we have in our privilege in redemptive history. Again, it's a blessing maybe you've missed or at least a blessing that is greater than you realize. I hope by the Spirit's help that's not true when you leave today as much as it is even now. So let's pray one more time and ask for God's help and we'll jump into the text. God and Father, our Lord Jesus, there are blessings we often overlook in this text. I know I've been guilty. And so let us ask now, would you give us the grace and the power of the Holy Spirit to swim around in these glories that we might be encouraged and equipped to enjoy your grace and to give you the obedience you're worthy of, even as we share this grace, with the lost and dying world. And we pray in Jesus name and for his sake, amen. Two parts this morning, the gospel longed for and the gospel realized. The gospel longed for and the gospel realized. And then we'll conclude with a few practical applications to this underappreciated blessing. First, the gospel longed for. Look again at verse 10 11. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Now, I'm not sure how you think about your Old Testament and New Testament, but Peter demonstrates that Christianity, the Christianity of the New Testament, is not some new religion distinct from Old Testament Israel and what God was doing in Israel. Instead, the New Testament is the fulfillment of the promises of God to Israel in the Old Testament. Peter connects the Old Testament prophets to the New Testament preachers in our text today and demonstrates the centrality of the person and work of Christ. And as he does so, he brings into focus the privilege Our privileged place in redemptive history, even in this moment. He he shows us the prophets of old longed to see the day that Peter's readers were looking back on. There was a longing. And even as you read the Old Testament, there's this this posture of longing throughout. And and now uh, Peter's original readers and even us on this side of the cross see how Christ has answered these promises. From the fall of humanity as recorded in Genesis chapter 3, there's a longing in the Old Testament for redemption. For salvation, for return to the Edenic paradise that was lost when our first parents fell into sin. In fact, Deuteronomy chapter 18, 15 to 22 records Moses as Israel's first great prophet. Remember Israel on Mount Sinai? They saw the presence of the Lord and they were afraid and trembling in his presence. And they're like, yo, Moses, we don't want to get close to that God. How about you go in his presence, you talk to him, and you come back and tell us what he said. And this is what the Old Testament prophets would do. They would spend time in the presence of God, hear from God, and then speak the word of God to the people of God. And so we see this, this, uh, this, uh, the, the prophet spread throughout all of ancient Israel declaring God's word to God's people. For centuries of this longing, Israel's prophets predicted a grace to come. Centuries of longing. I just want to show you three things about this anticipation, this longing for the gospel in the Old Testament, particularly through the prophets. I want to see the longing heart of the prophets and the saints. First, I want you to see it was a labor of longing. Like there's labor to this. Look again at verse 10. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. They searched and inquired carefully about their own prophecies. They wanted to know when the Messiah would come, who he was, how to recognize him and what the circumstances would be when he would arrive. But this searching and inquiring, even of the prophecies God was giving to them, was not an easy or painless task. They often didn't understand the prophecies. <laughs> they often labored hard and was like, Lord, help me even understand what it is you're calling me to speak to your people. We see this most clearly, in uh, these examples in Daniel, the prophet Daniel. So just a quick survey. I just want you to look at kind of the emotional experience of the prophet Daniel as he's searching and inquiring about the prophets, uh, prophecies God is giving to him for his people. Daniel 7.15. As for me, Daniel, my spirit was within me, was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. Daniel 8.15. When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. 8.27. And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business But I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. Daniel 10, verse 15 to 17. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips, and I opened my mouth, and I spoke, and I said to him who stood before me, Oh, my Lord, by the reason of the vision, pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me, and no breath is left in me. Daniel 12, 8. I heard... But I did not understand. Then I said, oh, my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? The prophets inquired and searched and longed for the days when the prophecies would be fulfilled. But this was a painful and arduous task. It was difficult. They were often confused and laboring, trying to seek what it is the Lord was predicting through them. And even they were ridiculed and mistreated by the people around them, even as they gave the messages. They wondered. There was this longing. Will the day arrive? Will I see the outcome, the, the revelation of these prophecies. Will I see them in person? Will I will I be able to witness these things? But often, as we read in Habakkuk, what they heard, Habakkuk 2, verse 2, The Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come, it will not delay. Now friends, in a day of Amazon Prime and same-day delivery, and grocery pickup, and immediate answers to any question you have in the palm of your hand, few of us have any idea what it's like to be born with longings passed down to us from previous generations. Our African-American brothers and sisters experience this longing perhaps more than the rest of us. But even consider 400 years alone of God's silence in the intertestamental period between the Old Testament and New Testament. Twenty generations or so came and went without hearing another prophecy, let alone seeing it fulfilled. The prophet's labor was a labor of longing. Secondly, I want you to see the prophet's labor was a labor led by the Holy Spirit. So again, they're longing, they're searching, they're inquiring of what? Verse 11 inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating. Spirit of Christ, this is a reference to the Holy Spirit, the helper, whom proceeds from God the Father and God the Son, who fills Christians at Pentecost and beyond. So though the Spirit didn't indwell Old Testament believing saints like he does the New Testament believing saints now, he did fill or anoint uh, in order to accomplish prophecies and then particular works in redemptive history, the, the Spirit would fall and anoint his prophets for this work. Peter elaborates on this in uh, 2 Peter, in his second epistle, chapter 1, verse 20, where he explains the orthodox doctrine we call the inspiration of Scripture. 2 Peter 1, verse 20, knowing this, first of all, no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So we see here God used human agency and their personality and their language, but he carried them along by his Holy Spirit to write the Scriptures. It's worth even right now when we're going through a text like this to point out the Orthodox Christian beliefs about the inspiration, inerrancy, infallibility, authority of the Old and New Testaments. At King's Cross, we stand in line with historic Christianity and our beliefs about the Scriptures. We teach in our Connect class and even uh, uh, you can find on our website. In our nine core beliefs, we state this in the second article. The Bible is God's word. The Bible is God's written revelation of himself to mankind, divinely given through human authors who were inspired by the Holy Spirit. It is entirely true, totally sufficient, and completely authoritative for matters of life and faith. Article 1 in our Statement of Faith, which is a revised version of the New Hampshire Confession of Faith from 1853, reads this, of the Scriptures, We believe that the Holy Bible was written by men divinely inspired and is a perfect treasure of heavenly instruction. That it has God for its author, salvation for its end, and that the truth within is without error. That it reveals the principles by which God will judge us and therefore is and shall remain to the end of the world the true center of Christian union and the supreme standard by which all human conduct, creeds, and opinions should be tried. We'll talk more about the practical implications of this in just a few minutes. But what I want you to see primarily right now is notice that this labor of the prophets was, was, was indeed a labor. And that it was led by the Spirit. So it was a, a labor led by the Spirit, thirdly, looking for the Christ. A labor led by the Spirit looking for the Christ. Look again at verse 11 in its entirety. Inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. So throughout the Old Testament, the prophets couldn't put all the details together, but they knew of the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. The sufferings of Christ were clearly predicted and then fulfilled. I'll give you just a survey, a couple of answers. I want to show you how, look, the Old Testament prophets were telling this is what's coming, and then I want you to see how it's fulfilled in the person and work of Christ. Predicted, Psalm 22, verse 7 and 8. The psalmist says, All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Jesus Christ, hanging on Calvary's cross. Matthew 27, verse 39. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you're the Son of God, come down from the cross. So the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Again, predicted by the prophet, Psalm 22, verse 17 and 18. I count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. Christ Jesus on the cross. Verse, Luke 23, verse 34. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, even as they fulfill scripture. They cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, he saved others. Let him save himself. He's the Christ, the God. His chosen one. All of uh, Isaiah chapter 53 is a clear portrayal fulfilled in the cross of Christ. One commentator says that uh, Isaiah 53 looks as if it had been written beneath the cross upon Golgotha. We can read Isaiah 53, 5. For the sake of time, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. The Old Testament is the promises of God to redeem the world through the suffering Christ and his resurrection. And the New Testament is the promise of God kept through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, to read the Bible correctly is to understand the scarlet, lead, uh, a thread, scarlet thread that holds it all together. The Bible is 66 books written over 1,500 plus years by 40 plus different authors telling one great story of how God is redeeming for himself a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation through the suffering and subsequent glories of his son. This is how followers of Christ ought to read their Bibles. Because this is how Christ himself taught us to read our Bibles. Luke 24, just after his resurrection, he's on the road to Emmaus with his disciples, and he shows them this is how you ought to read and understand the Bible. Luke twenty four twenty six, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Then down in verse 44, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins shall be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things and behold, I'm sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay into the city until you are clothed with the power from on high. Remember um, years ago, so Dustin actually was on staff with us and labors and teaches our kids and does a number of things. Um, he had just come to faith. And he said to me in a conversation, he's like, hey, you said God reveals his will in the scriptures. Well, I want to know what God's will is, but I know that it was written by man. And it's got their own biases and errors in it. So how do I discern it? I'm like, that's interesting. Did you know you disagree with Jesus about how you read your Bible? He's like, oh, I didn't say that. So, like, yes, you did. And I read to him Luke uh, chapter 24 and said, man, we need to start thinking together about why you disagree with and think Jesus reads his Bible the wrong way. And obviously he was very uncomfortable with that statement. And we begin to have conversations saying, no, no, what do the scriptures testify about the scriptures? How does the Bible tell us to read the Bible? Now, some, uh, maybe maybe professors in, in your university is going to say, hey, this is circular reasoning. They're going to do the same thing with science or medicine or whatever they're, they're working with as well. But we need to understand, though, how did Christ read the scriptures? And do we think he read them correctly or not? And we look at Luke 24, and he tells us clearly in that text, all of this was pointing to me. All of these prophecies were pointing to me. All of this is filled in me. If you're going to read the Bible correctly, you must read it with Christ Jesus, his person and his work at the center of all scripture. If you've got questions about that, I would commend Taking God at his word by Kevin DeYoung. It's a little book I gave to Dustin even that day. And I said, hey, read chapter one. We'll talk about it uh, the next time we get together. I gave it to him the next time we got together. He was like, I read the whole thing. Totally makes sense. Next question. And I knew we were in for a journey together. But anyway, I want you to see the prophet's labor was one of longing, led by the Spirit and looking for the Christ. The bullseye of the meta-narrative of Scripture is the cross of Christ. This is why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, I resolve to know nothing among you like Christ and Him crucified. If you, miss and you misunderstand the centrality of the cross of Christ, you will misunderstand the Bible. You must read it with the cross of Christ as the hinge of all Scripture. His death, His burial, His resurrection is the center of the Bible and of human history. Therefore, the more you think on this, the more you'll realize at least a little bit, a little bit more how much the prophets longed to see the day that you and I can now look back on. Theirs was the day the gospel was longed for. Ours is the day the gospel has been revealed, which leads to our second point, the gospel revealed. The prophets didn't make it to the realization of God's promises. Now they didn't make it to the end believing and trusting. This is highlighted in the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. That they were longing, they were trusting, they were believing his promises, and they kept believing those promises all the way to the end. We read Hebrews 11 verse 13, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear they're seeking a homeland. If they'd been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have out, had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. They had the revelation of the promises, but not the realization of them. Now, we can identify with them in part because we're anticipating and longing for the second coming of Christ. So we understand that longing in part. But where we're in a privileged position is, no, no, no. What they were longing for in Christ's first coming has already happened, and we're now on this side of it. And that's what now Peter is trying to help us understand. No, no, before I get and move on from this introduction, I need you to understand the privileged position you sit in as a Christian. These prophets labored and they longed for the day you take for granted. They labored and longed for centuries and centuries and centuries for things you don't even think about. And so Peter wants to show us that not to, not to confront us and beat us up, but to say there's a blessing here that perhaps you've never really caught onto and enjoyed. As for the particulars of sufferings and subsequent glories of Christ, Peter's original audience, and indeed every believer this side of the cross who has read this epistle has this privileged position. Look at verse 12. It was revealed to them, that is the prophets, that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that now have been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. When you read your Bible, perhaps you're going to read through the Bible in a year plan, as I am right now. When you read, and it's laborious in the Old Testament. When you read the Old Testament, you need to read it remembering the prophets labored for you. They realize we're laboring for a coming generation. The work we're putting in is going to be enjoyed by a future generation that we don't even know. This was the grace that's to be yours, as we opened in verse 9. The New Testament believers scattered throughout modern-day Turkey as they read this for the first time are fulfillment of this prophecy, and Christian, so are you. There were centuries of Old Testament saints longing for the coming Messiah, trusting in God's grace and mercy through the Messiah to come, but some 2,000 years ago, he came. He lived a perfect life demonstrating authority in his teaching and his miracles, unlike any who had ever seen before. And then he suffered and died on Calvary's cross, not for any sin of his, but for mine and your sin, for the sins of those who would trust him by faith, even reading this letter uh, the first time. He died the death that we deserve. He took on the wrath of God that we might take on the cup of salvation. And then the subsequent glories, he got up from the dead. He rose again to new life. The one whom so many longed for came and accomplished our salvation. That's what the prophets knew in part. Peter and the apostles witnessed it with their very own eyes. The same Holy Spirit who inspired the prophets anointed Christ for his work. The same Holy Spirit then was sent at Pentecost to indwell his church after his resurrection and gave them the preaching of the gospel power as the uh, the preachers in the New Testament preach the gospel with the power of the Spirit. The word went out and brought people to faith and life in Christ. The same Holy Spirit now indwells and blesses the preaching of his gospel today. This Holy Spirit's work is what led to new birth for the Christians reading spread throughout modern day Turkey. It's what's led to new birth for you if you're a Christian. This mystery hidden for ages and generations is now revealed to his saints, Paul says in Colossians chapter 1. So this gospel, they labor, these, these prophets labored for us. That's, they labored, they put all this work in for us to enjoy. But secondly, notice the gospel was preached to us. So the prophets labored for us and then the gospel was preached to us. Verse 12, again, second half, "...in things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven." That there's a unique blessing in redemptive history for those who get to hear what Christ has done on Calvary's cross in his death, burial, and resurrection. There's a uniqueness to this. And Paul's saying it's that same spirit that inspired the prophets is the same spirit that anointed Christ in this works. The same spirit filling the church. And now you're on this side looking back and you've heard the good news. It's not a mystery to you. Christ Jesus is Lord. He's defeated your sin and death. He's defeated Satan. He's raised from the grave. There's no more mystery. It's revealed. It's unveiled. You see it in Christ. This gospel has been preached to you. There's a privilege of your point view, of view in redemptive history. And it is easy to miss it. It is easy not to realize that we get to look back and know, and now it's been announced to us what centuries of faithful people were longing for. Peter makes clear the privilege we are living in. Christ Jesus himself made clear this privilege. Matthew 13, verse 16 Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Now, Peter takes us a little further into the blessing that is here that maybe we don't quite understand in our life experientially. He's one of three disciples with Christ at the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus is caught up, and suddenly Moses and Elijah, and there's this unique moment. He's transfigured. His glory is revealed. They pull the curtain back uh, on God's glory in a unique way. Peter hears the voice of God the Father say, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased listen to him. And Peter's going to say, no, no, like it was incredible. I was on the, I heard the very voice of God audibly. He said, but I got something better for you. I got something better for you. 2 Peter 1. Again, we read the second part of this earlier, but look at the whole thing. 2 Peter 1 verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And then look at verse 19, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to do to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter says the Bible you hold in your hands is a greater privilege even than hearing audibly from God. Because listen, if you heard audibly from God, my God, like God can still speak. I'm not saying he can't speak. I'm not, I'm not trying to wade into those debates right now. What I'm saying is God can do whatever he wants to do. He's God. Well, Peter says, even if you heard audibly from him, you would forget what you heard. You would have to go back and try to remember and think about it. He said, no, no, we have his words right here. We know exactly what he said throughout all of redemptive history. We have his living word. The spirit inspired it. You have it. And don't you understand the privilege that you have in your hand? You have the living word of God your disposal to study and to know and to hear from god your father to see how he's acted throughout redemptive history to see how he brought about his son to save to see how he sent the holy spirit to bless the preaching of the gospel to see how and who our god is and what he does and again in this privilege we understand now why paul would say in second timothy three sixteen, all all scriptures breathed out by god And profitable for teaching, for approval, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that men of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That's why we prioritize preaching of the gospel. Because we know the Spirit of God works on the Word of God to bring about the will of God. This is how God works, it's how He's always worked. And so we preach this gospel. The prophets labored for us, the gospel was preached to us. Thirdly, the angels long to look into God's grace to and through us. What a thought! So the prophets in redemptive history are laboring on our behalf and for us. The gospel's been preached to us on this side of of Calvary's cross. And now the angels are longing to look into what God is doing in his redemptive history in and through his people. The, The things into which the Holy Spirit longed to look. Think about this reality. All of this leaves the angels in awe, certainly singing, holy, holy, holy. The angels see our privileged position. As as people who God has redeemed, as the people who's gathering from every child, tongue, and nation to form into this new holy priesthood that he's going to say, this is my chosen. This is my beloved. This is how I'm going to show light and darkness in a dark world. And the angels are like, yo, this is incredible. Like they're longing to get a glimpse and see how God is orchestrating redemptive history. And they're they're looking at our life, singing praises to God. And there's a holy jealousy that they're like, man, I wish I was in on this like they are. Do you understand the angels are celebrating, looking into what we're doing even right now? That as we walk with Christ and he conforms us to the image of Christ by his spirit, convicts us of sin and righteousness and judgment, we turn to Christ, we ask forgiveness, we're, we're reminded of the blood of Christ and the cleansing of Christ and the spirit dwelling within and he conforms us into Christ's image. The angels are like, this is beautiful. Angels longing to look into this. If the angels long to look into it, shouldn't we think we probably should look into it as well surely they're smarter than we are they've been around a long time they've been learning a long time they've been longing to look in for a long time that's why Spurgeon says does anyone suppose that he knows all about the gospel and does not need further hours of study thought and prayer poor miserable fool Angels who are vastly superior to us in intelligence, desire to learn and know more. This is a grand thing. As the angels are such deep students of the things of God, let us try to be the same. Karen Jobs, she says, comparison with the, and she, and she looks at the two groups, the prophets and then the angels. Comparison with the first group situates Peter, Peter's readers as privileged historically and with the second group cosmically. Of all the times to be alive in human history, it's a supreme privilege to be alive in the period of history following the coming of Christ when the gospel is clearly preached. Christian, the angels look into your experience with a holy jealousy unto the glory of God in Christ. Do you know how blessed you are to be alive in this moment in redemptive history? The prophets longed for this day. The angels longed to study God's work in this day. You live in it. You're here now. Let me conclude with a few applications. So again, you've received more grace than you realize just by being on this side of the cross, having the gospel preached to you through the Holy Spirit-inspired scriptures. You live when the predictions of the prophets have come to pass and the suffering and subsequent glories of the Lord Jesus. And Peter wants you to feel this blessing so you might be able to endure as a stranger in a strange world. So again, remember what Peter's doing with this whole epistle is, look, I know you're about to be going through. I know you're going to feel like a stranger and an alien in a foreign land where you don't quite fit in anywhere except with the people of God. And I need you to understand the privileged place you're in in redemptive history so that you can endure in the midst of that. He wants you to feel that. So five applications to help you enjoy this blessing and endure even as a, a stranger and alien in this world. Number one, read and study the Bible Christocentrically. Read and study the Bible Christocentrically, or with Jesus and His cross at the center of it. Look for the scarlet thread. Listen, there was one time again I talked to you about Dustin when he first came to faith. So Dustin was in a relationship with Sydney. They dated for six years as non-believers, uh, came to faith, and uh, and listen, they started reading the Bible together. And I remember I got a, I got a um I got a text one night from Sid, uh, from Dustin, and he was like, "Yo, Sydney is mad," and I'm like, "What's going on?" He's like, "We're reading the Old Testament, and bro, this uh, we're reading Genesis, and this thing is crazy." Like, there's all kind of evil stuff happening. There's morally, like, and she's just mad. Like, what do I say to her? Because she is upset. And I said, okay, t- t- come out. Look for the scarlet thread. So Genesis 3, the fall happens, and there's a promise of one who will crush the serpent's head. Sin spreads and runs rampant, and it's ugly and vile, and sin is nasty. So, none of this is telling you, hey, this is the way people ought to live. This is showing the ramifications of sin. You got to look for that scarlet thread. You got to understand. If you're going to read and understand what's going on in Genesis correctly, you got to see it in light of the cross of Christ. That's the whole uh, thing. Revelation is coming to us and it's it's culminating and climaxing in the personal work of Christ. So, understand as you read this, human beings are horribly sinful, God is incredibly righteous, and the cross of Christ is the only solution for this great problem. And so as you read it, some of that righteous anger like this is wrong ought to be there. It is wrong. But the problem is we look into our hearts and that same sin is in our hearts. Like, uh-oh. Like, I want them to get crushed for that sin, but I need somebody to take it easy on me. <laughs> it's like, no, 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 we need Christ crushed in our place for our sin. And we got to read on. So read the Bible Christocentrically. Number two, use the word as your source of hope and joy even and especially in trials. The word of God has got to be your source of hope and joy. Listen to Romans 14.4 as Paul wraps up Romans. Listen to the concepts we've talked about even this morning. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Do you feel hopeless this morning? That's why you need the word. Not just to check off a box to try to make God happy with you in your performance. You need the word because that's where your hope is renewed and found. You need strength. You need to go to the word. So again, use the word as your source of hope and joy. Thirdly, use the word as your weapon in spiritual warfare. Use the word as your weapon in spiritual warfare. Ephesians chapter 6, I would encourage you to read 10 through the end when the Apostle Paul talks about all the different uh, parts of our armor as, as a Christian. But particularly, all the parts of the armor of the Christian are passive. They protect us from things that are coming at us. Except for one. There's one active weapon. It's the Scriptures. Ephesians 6, 17. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Friends, I'm not going to get into it too much, but I've walked into a room to where if any Christian was in the room, they would have observed this person is possessed by a demon. There's no question. And in the midst of that experience, everything the Scripture says about spiritual warfare was obvious including as there was biting and, and and spitting and 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 coming after us and accusing and lying flailing around lands on a bible and says it burns there's power in god's word the spiritual realm is is real this is your weapon you know the scriptures you memorize the scriptures you fight lies with the truth of scriptures you got to know your word in the weapon of spiritual warfare Number four, use the word as your weapon against sin. Use the word in your weapon against sin. Psalm 119.11, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. How do you fight sin? You you say, Holy Spirit, I need your help. Holy Spirit, hide the word of God in my heart so that when I'm tempted, I now have truth of the scriptures to fight this particular temptation. So use the word as your weapon against sin. I think uh, of the movie Book of Eli. Denzel Washington, unquestionably the greatest actor of all time. That's not up for debate. We can talk later if you disagree, but I'll just convince you that you're wrong. Anyway, um, the book of Eli, and maybe you've seen it. It's it's an old movie. I'm going to ruin it for you if you haven't seen it, because you're probably not going to watch it if you haven't seen it at this point. But there's kind of, it's an apocalyptic movie and in in the thing, the book of Eli, you're wondering and they're they're trying to find out where's the, the one left Bible remaining in the world. You get to the end of the movie, and it's like, no, there's apparently there's one. This guy knows where it's at, but, but everybody's trying to, like, he's, he's, they're trying to kill him. Like, what's going on? Where is this? Where's the Bible? Where's the book? And then he sits down, and he says, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning. And he quotes the whole Bible, and kind of the movie goes off. Understand and praise God that you have the word to fight your sin. Memorize it. Hide it in your heart. Say, God, I want to know your word. I want to be able to recall it in the moment of battle. Fifthly and finally, praise God for the privilege he has given you. Your address, your birth date. October 27, 1981, 1675 Midway Drive, Shelby, North Carolina, 28150. Call to mind your birth date and your address. And think about this. Listen to Acts 17, verse 26 and 27. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. Having determined allotted periods, birth date, and the boundaries of their dwelling place, address, that they should seek God and perhaps fill their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. Before the foundation of the earth, God determined your birth date and your address, And that those would happen this side of the cross. That you might hear the gospel preached. That you might repent of your sin and trust in Christ and be born again and receive his spirit. That he might guard and guide you all the way to glory. To this inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and kept in heaven waiting for you. And before the foundation of the earth, he knew that address and that birth date. And in his sovereignty, even the awful things that you've gone through, he'll work together for your good. Somehow in the end, you will agree. And so we need to understand in this moment, how do we know this? Because of grace. So much grace. So understand being where you're at in redemptive history is an incredible privilege. You walked in this morning, you may have overlooked or underappreciated the blessing of the word in your hands, the spirit dwelling within and the moment in history God has placed you. Don't walk out that way. Walk out with the joy and privilege that the prophets longed for that the angels are still longing to look into. And even I'll close with Romans 16, verse 25. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's close in prayer.